Center, I'm meteorologist Tom Russell on News Radio WHP 580. Currently 41 at WHP 580. The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about freedom. Talking about freedom. I will fight for the right to live in freedom. This is your Financial Show Central PA, Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Well, good morning on this gorgeous, gorgeous Saturday. Thank you for joining us here on financial freedom my name is tim decker and the goal and purpose of this program is to provide you with insightful straightforward unbiased advice to help you make wise financial decision it's my goal to become your trusted resource for financial truths let me give you the phone number if you have something you'd like to discuss with me ask of me i'd love to hear from you so do not be shy we're all friends here so uh We do take your calls on a first-caller basis, so I urge you to call sooner rather than later, and we will queue you up in the order of uh, when we received your call. You can reach me locally by calling 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580, and anywhere else toll-free. It's 800-724-5801. Again, it's 800-724-5801. Some of the things we're going to attempt to get to in this morning's program, time permitting as is always the case, is I'm going to give you a specific exercise as to how you can get a sense as to running a stress test for your existing portfolio, your existing holdings. And I'm going to encourage you to do this because one of the things that I have been bringing to the forefront on this program over the last several weeks and actually months is, as we know, the markets continue to surge to new highs. And although no one, and I mean no one, can accurately predict when we will have the next correction, what we do know is it will take place. And the market does an excellent job of making fools out of as many people as it can. So I like to make every effort, and we do this on behalf of our clients, and that's why I want to share it with all of you. We like to run stress tests where we actually have taken steps using history as our guide, going back and looking at prior market declines, 
including 2000 through 2002, including October 2007 when the market peaked, and then the subsequent major decline of over 55% in the S&P 500 index, and uh, when it eventually bottomed out March 9th of 2009, as well as going back to prior times as well, all the way back to the early 1900s, to have a good sense as to what you can expect with your portfolio, not if, but when we have the next major market declines. And the reason that's so important that you do this and that you have a real good sense as to what you can expect ties into something that you've heard me say on numerous occasions, and that is surprise is the mother of all panics. Surprise is the mother of all panics. So if indeed surprise is the mother of all panics, one of the most important ways to help insulate you from panicking is to obviously not be surprised. So you should have a real good sense for what you can expect with your current holdings, your specific investments, as well as your overall household portfolio when, again, not if, but when we have the next market decline. Because, let me remind you, since World War II, we have had a bear market, that being a decline of 20% or more on average, about once every five years. And since 1926, we've had a bear market, believe it or not, on average, about once every three years. And it has been some time here in the U.S. that we have had any type of a significant market decline. If you go back to January last year, we had a pretty sharp decline. And if you remember, that was the sharpest sell-off in the first month of the year that we have had in the history of our markets for many, many, many years. And prior to that, the last sharp decline we had was in the middle of 2011, where from peak to trough, we had about a 19% decline, 19.6 if you look at the S&P 500. So technically, if you want to use the technical definition of a bear market, which is a 20% decline or more, that one will not show up in the book a bear market. But I don't know about you, but whether it's a 19.6% decline or a 20% decline, is that 0.4, those 40 basis points, really going to have an impact on whether we want to call that a bear market or not? I think not. So it's importance or the importance of not being caught off guard, the importance of not being surprised, and actually having a real good sense of what to expect when we have the next market declines, and most importantly, not only knowing what you can expect with your portfolio, 
but making sure that you have a proactive process in place, ideally via dynamic rebalancing, where when these declines take place, not only are you not caught off guard, but also you're going to be able to capitalize and take advantage of that. So we're going to talk a little bit about how you can do that, just a few steps, and I would encourage you to make sure that you take the time to do this, whether you're handling your investments on your own or whether you're working with an existing advisor, whatever, you should have a sense as to what your allocations are, what type of investments you own, and running them through a stress test by simply taking the time to go back and seeing how your existing portfolio that you hold now and the investments within them, what was their reaction or how would they have been affected when we went through 2007, 2008, as well as 2000 through 2002. By doing that, it'll give you a real good sense as to what you should expect. So again, when it does take place, you're not caught off guard. So when we come back, we will pick up with that. And uh, I also want to talk, time permitting, about explicit costs and implicit costs via mutual funds. Okay, we're going to go to our first break. Again, if you have anything you'd like to ask of me, all we need is your first name, where you're calling from. Do not be shy. I always love hearing from all of you. You can reach me at 540-0580. I forgot, 717. We have to dial that now. 717-540-0580 or toll-free anywhere else. It's 800-724-5801. I'm Tim Decker. On a mission to keep you informed, News Radio WHP 580. A lot of financial advisors won't want you to hear what we say. This is the financial show that represents you, not Wall Street. This is Financial Freedom with Tim Decker on WHP 580. Welcome back, Financial Freedom. Let me remind you before we get into our discussions here, if you've not yet d done so, uh, be sure to take advantage of our valuable, ongoing educational materials that are available absolutely free. Uh, we have a monthly e-newsletter as well as a monthly video blog that's about uh, typically only about three four minutes long it's all designed to help educate you to help arm you with information that will help you make not only wise decisions but to protect you from the financial landmines that are everywhere around you um, if you go to our website it's isifinancialgroup.com that's isifinancialgroup.com bottom right hand corner there you can uh, sign up for our free e-newsletter all we need is your email address that's it and we'll make sure that uh, we get you on that uh, monthly newsletter of insights and ed education insights and education and also 
again, don't forget that excellent tool that we have available for you to download to interview any financial advisor to help you be assured that whoever you are working with, whoever whoever's advice you are taking or are interviewing to consider as an advisor for you and your family, I urge you, download that questionnaire, get those answers in writing when you're interviewing for an advisor. Send it to them in advance. Ask them to complete it and send it back. Or if you're working with an existing advisor, I urge you, urge you, send it to your existing advisor. Ask them to be kind enough to complete the answers. If they balk, if they give you a hard time, if there's any kind of an attitude, well, flags should go up immediately, and perhaps, perhaps that might mean that you might want to look elsewhere. So that's also on our home web page. Um, right on the bottom there, there's a button that says Download Fiduciary Questionnaire. And again, our website address is isifinancialgroup.com. All right, let's talk about stress testing your portfolios. The first thing that I would suggest you do before you look at your portfolio as a whole is identify and look at any bonds or bond mutual funds that you own. And I want you to look at those specifically and individually on their own. Why? Well, bonds and bond mutual funds have two types of of risk there is what's called term risk and there is credit risk term risk has to do with the length of maturity of the bond or the bond mutual fund that you own and it's simply this when you have a bond that has a longer maturity your risk relative to interest rates is higher why? Well, if you own a 10-year bond and say you get that at a yield right now of around 2.4, 2.5, the U.S. government 10 years trading around 233, basically what you're doing is you're turning your money over, you're making a loan for a 10-year time period in return for the promise of getting a yield, a fixed yield, in this case 2.33 from the government for 10 years. Well, 10 years is a long time. Now, if interest rates go up three years from now, five years from now, the yield, the interest that you're receiving off of your bond will not go up because it's fixed. It's fixed for that entire time period. So potentially what that means is if three years from now, 10-year government bonds that are now being issued are, say, yielding 3.5 or 4, and you're stuck with yours that you purchased with a 2.33% yield, what do you think you're going to get for that bond if you for whatever reason, wanted to sell it before it matures in 10 years. Well, common sense says 
why would anybody pay you full price for your bond that's yielding 2.33 when they can get a new one that's yielding, say, 3.5? So if you sell it early, you're going to get less. The price of your bond will have decreased because nobody's going to give you full price. Okay. Now, people say, well, what if I hold it till it matures? Well, yeah, if you hold it till it matures, you're going to get your full principal back, assuming it's not a corporate bond that they default on it. But if it's an investment grade and or government bond, when it matures, you're going to get your money back. But along the way, you're still getting that 2.33 yield. And if interest rates have gone up, and new bonds are yielding three and a half or four, why do you think interest rates have gone up? Well, most likely is because inflation. If inflation starts going up, what you see is you see a pretty high correlation between interest rates and inflation. So what that means is your purchasing power is going to be eroded while you're holding on to this 10-year bond where you're only getting 2.33 yield. So that is what term risk is. The longer the maturity of your bond, the greater your risk is to interest rates. The other type of risk associated with bonds is what's called credit risk. And quite simply, that is, what is the likelihood, what is the safety, what is the assurance that you have that whoever you've loaned your money to, which is what you do when you buy a bond, how confident are you that when that bond matures, you're going to get your money back? Well, that's why you want to look at the quality of the bonds that you own. Basically, I highly recommend that you only, only own investment grade, which essentially are bonds rated triple B or higher, triple B or higher, so that you don't have that type of risk. And when I say you don't have that type of risk, that risk still exists, but because these are investment grade and or government type bonds, the relative safety is much greater than if you own lower rated bonds. Lower rated bonds are what are referred to as junk bonds. And that's why they pay higher yields. That's why you'll look at funds that are called high yield income funds, high yield bond funds. Those typically are bond funds that invest in lower rated junk bond funds. Now what I want you to look at in your own portfolio is identify the bond funds that you own and take some time and go to say Morningstar or look in your prospectus and find out what the quality of the bonds are that your bond mutual fund owns, what it is eligible to be able to buy and then also what I would like you to do is take your existing bond fund and go back and see how it performed in 2007, 2008, up until March 2009. And then also 
it'd be good to go back and see how it did 2000 through 2002. And the reason this is important, and I'm going to give you an actual real-life example, is many people, many people, and I meet with many of you in our office, we have people come into our office regularly that just want a second opinion, a non-biased opinion on their existing investments, whether they've been doing it on their own or whether they're working with another advisor. And when I am reviewing somebody's current investments, you would be amazed. You'd be amazed how many times when I'm looking at someone's holdings, whether it be individual bonds or bond mutual funds or a bond ETF, how many times, in fact, I would say the majority of the time, people are not fully aware of what their bond funds or what the ratings of their individual bonds are. And when I ask them, are you aware that this bond fund has a certain percentage in high-yield junk bonds, the look that I get when I ask people that is it's astonishing. They're like, no, I was not aware of that. So it's important that you know what type of bonds and bond mutual funds and bond ETFs you own. And the reason why that's so important is if you go back, as an example, to 2008, the average high-yield bond fund, again, that's the key phrase you should always keep your eye out for, high-yield. High-yield predominantly means high risk. The reason that they're offering you a high yield is because they have to, because the investments in those types of bonds are significantly riskier. But if you go back to 2008 as an example, according to Morningstar, the average high yield slash junk bond fund had a negative return in 2008 of 26.41%, a negative 26.41%. That sounds more like stocks than it does bonds. Well, that's the problem with having lower-rated risky bonds. They move more like stocks, and they act more like stocks. When the spaghetti hits the fan... Which, by the way, when do you want your bonds to really, really hold up? When do you want your bonds to serve as a stabilizer? Well, obviously, it's when we have stock market declines. So if given the choice in 2008 of holding bonds that had, on average, a 26% decline, those being high-yield bond mutual funds, or, in contrast, having your money, say, in a intermediate-term investment-grade and or government bond where you saw a positive increase, say, of between 5 and 10% to help offset and, and, and uh, cushion the temporary decline we had in stocks that year, which would you choose? Well, I hope you would choose owning bonds that are designed to be the airbag in your 
portfolio. Those being nothing but high-quality investment grade, and you definitely want to have some government bonds in there as well. So the first thing I want you to do when you're looking at your existing investments is identify the bonds that you own and then either sit down with a fee-only advisor who can help you understand what type of risk those bonds entail or if you want to try to do it on your own get the research done so that you know just what type of bonds are in your bond funds if you own bond funds and or if you own individual bonds make sure that you understand the quality of those bonds because I can promise you I can promise you that when, again, not if, when we have the next stock market decline, those bonds can be your best friend and provide you stability and peace of mind and allow you to sleep well at night if they are the right types of bonds. However, if they are not, you can be in for a rude awakening. And as I said earlier, rude awakenings, equal surprise and as I said surprise is the mother of all panics and you don't want to experience it and the time to know these answers is now not after the fact okay we're gonna go to the news when we come back we'll pick right back up and we talked we just got done talking about how you can stress test your bond holdings and then we're going to pick back up we're going to talk about how can you stress test your overall portfolio if you have anything you'd like to ask of me don't be shy 717-540-0580 that's 717-540-0580 and anywhere else toll free it's 800 information needs whp580.com this is news radio whp580 this is your financial show, Central PA. Financial freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Back, second half, financial freedom. Thanks for taking time to join us here this beautiful Saturday morning. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, I think we have Jim from Harrisburg. Good morning, Jim. How are you, sir? How can I help you? Jim, are you with us? JC, uh, let me know if he uh, comes back on. And uh, Jim, are you with me? No, Jim. Okay, um, on the front of the Wall Street Journal markets section this weekend, something very interesting. Headline, ETF heyday is no bonanza for Wall Street. And the subtitle uh, reads, the old commission model is shrinking as more advisors get paid directly by clients 
a move that favors low-cost funds. Hallelujah. Something that you've heard me talking about on this program for many years now, that being how important it is to use low low-cost investments, ideally low-cost index funds. Well, over the years, ETFs, which are in their simplest forms, like mutual funds with the main difference being they can trade throughout the day where mutual funds only are bought and sold based upon the end of the day's closing share price. ETFs can be bought and sold like stocks, but like mutual funds, they own a basket of many, many different securities. Well, some of the most popular ones are index ETFs. And according to the Wall Street Journal, investors poured a record of $380 billion into these funds. And it says much of it into ultra low cost index funds. That, my friend, is beautiful, beautiful news. The word is getting out. As much as Wall Street and brokers and commission advisors still are fighting for your money, the wave has changed, and that's why you've seen fun families like Vanguard just explode as people and financial advisors, a handful of us, are continuing to build beautiful portfolios for clients using low-cost index funds. And that's why you are seeing and why the Wall Street Journal has Reported, $380 billion has poured into these types of funds already this year. And it says, the trend leaves asset managers, brokers, and advisors scrambling for a slice of the shrinking pie. Okay, uh, JC says we have Jim back. Jim, are you with me? One more time for Jim. I don't know. We seem to uh, be having some technical difficulties. So uh, if we get that, we'll see if we can get that figured out during the break. And if we are, we'll uh, bring up Jim. Okay. How do you stress test your portfolio? I talked about the importance of making sure that you take the time to understand and have an expectation of how your bonds and or bond mutual funds or your bond ETFs how you should expect that they will respond and or react when we have the next major stock market decline. But what about your overall portfolio? Well, once you've taken the step first to look at your bonds, then what you want to do is to do a breakdown of your overall portfolio and identify what your allocation is. When I say your allocation, in its simplest terms, stocks, bonds, and cash. Because if the bonds that you hold are nothing but, and this is what they should be, and if they're not, then I would highly recommend you make it a priority to take whatever steps are necessary to make sure that any bonds that you hold are indeed investment-grade bond funds and definitely some government bonds 
because remember, as I shared with you in 2008, those are the types of bonds that actually not only held up, but went up anywhere between 5 and 10%. So once you've made sure that the bonds that you hold in your portfolio are nothing but safe, investment-grade, government-type bonds, then you want to look at your overall allocations, which essentially is how much do you have in stocks, how much do you have in bonds, how much do you have in cash. And what you can then do is you can go back Again, to 2007, 2008, beginning in 2009, I would urge you to also go back 2000, 2002. With our clients, we actually have data that goes back to the early 1900s that accounts for all the bear markets that we've had. And what you can do or get help from a fee-only advisor who can help you with this, but what you need to have done one way or another, whether you do it yourself or with the assistance of your trusted advisor, is to look at how would your existing portfolio with the allocations that you have now, how would that have performed in 2008? How would it have performed 2000, 2002? How would it have performed in 1987? Because although we don't know exactly how your portfolio or my portfolio is going to perform during the next market decline, we can definitely get a real good sense and get a, a good idea as to how it probably will with a focus on, don't worry about the upside, but how is it going to hold up? What type of decline, when we have the next major market decline, what kind of a decline is your portfolio going to experience? What should you reasonably expect? Is it going to be a 15% decline? Is that what it would have declined in 2008? Is it going to decline 30%? Whatever it is, you should know that. Because by knowing that, it will give you a sense as to what you potentially can and perhaps should expect when we have the next market decline. That will take that surprise word out of the equation. Although the events, the specific events which will cause the next market decline, we don't know what those are. They're never exactly the same. Think about all the headlines that have been in the news over the next, over the last year, five years, ten years. We had the dot-com bubble in 2000. We had the Great Recession with all the financial blow-ups in 2007, 2008, 2009. There's always different specific events that can be pointed to triggering or having an impact, but we don't know in advance what those are. But what we can know is we can get a good sense, depending upon the allocation of your portfolio, what type of declines you better be prepared to experience. And if that's not in line with your personal tolerance for risk, for fluctuation, if it's not in line with your personal goals, with your financial plan, then you need 
to know that now so that you can make an adjustment. So again, if you've not done a stress test on your existing investments and your existing portfolio, either take the time to do it on your own or sit down with a fee-only advisor. That's an advisor who has nothing to sell you and pay them for their time to help you understand and get your arms around what type of fluctuation and risk you currently hold before we have the next market decline. Okay, we're going to take our last break. When we come back, we'll pick right back up. We'll have time for a question or two. 717-540-0580. That's 717-540. Ending quest to keep you updated. 24-7 News Radio. WHP 580. Yeah, yeah. Providing you with the information and answers to gain your financial independence. This is Financial Freedom on WHP 580. Once again, here's Tim Decker. Welcome back. Final segment of Financial Freedom. Again, take advantage of all of our ongoing educational information via our website. I have that all for you. Our monthly newsletter, monthly video blog. All you have to do is go to our website, isifinancialgroup.com. That's isifinancialgroup.com. And all we need is your email address. We don't need your name, your phone number, or anything. I know if you're like me, you do not like signing up for things on most websites because they will not send you information without wanting to know everything about you other than your shoe size. And I am the exact opposite. All I want to do and what I'm passionate about is helping you become more and more educated so that you can be armed with financial information that can help you make wise financial decisions. Don't. That's why I said we don't need your name, phone number. We don't solicit. We don't do any of that. We just send out educational materials. Okay, I just wanted to share with you an actual example when we talk about, as we were talking about bond funds and why it's so important to know what your bond mutual funds or your bond ETFs, or if you own individual bonds, what type of bonds they are. Recently, I was looking at a paper or a newsletter that was put out by a financial advisory firm here in South Central Pennsylvania. And what was of interest is they were touting, essentially, how good a job they were doing for their clients as a result of them having their clients in a certain bond mutual fund. The bond mutual fund was the PIMCO income fund. Okay. And the benchmark that they were showing and touting how well it had done relative to the benchmark was the Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. Well, I immediately knew when I looked at the numbers that the type of bond fund that the PIMCO Income Fund was and the relevance that it has towards the benchmark of the Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is not the right index. When you look at the Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, or if you look at a fund like the Vanguard Total Bond Market Index, which essentially 
is very similar to that index, what you'll see is that is an index that is comprised of all investment grade and government bonds. The type of bonds that I recommend and I suggest you stay away from any type of bonds that are not investment grade and or government bonds. Well, when I looked up this PIMCO fund, sure enough, the category that it's listed in or under in Morningstar is the multi-sector bond fund class. Well, if you know anything about multi-sector bond funds, you can tell by the name of it. Multi-sector means there's going to be many different types of bonds in it. And sure enough, when I read the research report on it that Morningstar has, it can invest in, you get it, you got it, junk bonds, uh, emerging market, which are very, very risky bonds. It can invest in numerous different types of bonds. Well, when you have years like we've had in the last few years when stocks and high-yield junk bonds and risky bonds have been doing well, of course this type of fund is going to outperform the steady, the steady, eddy, safer investment-grade bonds and the index, that being the Barclays U.S. aggregate. But guess what? When you go back to 2008 and you see what this fund did, uh, you're going to wish that you owned, again, the investment-grade bonds and the investment-grade bond funds. This fund actually had a negative return down about 6% where had you held investment-grade government bonds during the time that you wanted 